So tell me a little bit just about your background for starters. Where did you grow up? What were your parents like? Are your parents entrepreneurs? Did you get some of the bug from them? Somebody else in your life as a role model for that area? But a little bit about growing up as Richard Zach. Well, I'll save you the dark and stormy night 37 years ago version. Okay. And let's <laughs> let's start when my family relocated to Ohio in 1990. And uh, I kind of got ripped out of school and didn't have a lot of friends. So I started tinkering around with these things called modems. Um, I don't wow. know if anyone in this class knows what a modem is, but uh, you used to have to dial up to the internet. Well, where I lived in outside of Cleveland, Ohio in 1994, uh, it was a long distance phone call to connect to the internet. So not only was it, you know, 20 bucks a month or whatever, but it was $2 a minute. Um, so there really wasn't a whole lot I could do without spending all my lunch money, and so I set out on a on a quest to get free internet access. I really wanted to get online uh, without paying for it. So that led me to found an internet service provider. In high school? Uh, in high school, I was a freshman in high school. Wow. And uh, my mom and dad are, were engineers. They both went to MIT. Uh, my dad had- so They're not that smart. They were struggling. Nah, <laughs> not really. MIT's like top, top tier school. Um, my, my, um, so uh, my dad had started a couple businesses, but they didn't really work out, Okay, actually, for a variety of reasons. So uh, started this business. My parents made it very clear that you know, we're not going to just throw money at this. If you're going to try it, you've got to do it right. So I did a business plan and a financial model and a technology plan and a network architecture. I mean, I did all the planning. I did all the work to create this concept. Uh, and then I convinced some friends and family to write some checks. Really? Even and as a freshman in high school? 14 years old. Uh, wow. Raised $15,000. Wow. And thank you. And um, set up a bunch of computers, had a high-speed internet connection in my basement in 95, 96. Um, at the time, no, that wasn't, that wasn't cool. Uh, really? No. No, this. No, why not? This was not cool. Okay. By the time that's I. That's when nerd was nerd. Yeah, yeah. No. Nerd now is cool, but right? Is that right? Yeah, something changed when I became a senior and I sold my business. Then all of a sudden I was cool. <laughs> it's kind of like the guy who's like got a garage band, but when you become Aerosmith, then you're, you're cool, cool, yes. But until yeah. then, you're just a guy with a garage band. That, that's about right. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, that, that business did really well, and uh, we ended up having hundreds of customers who had the same problem I had, and that's really... So that's what started. What started it was Solving I had, had a problem that needed to be solved. So it wasn't just sitting around. I think a lot of times we talk about this where, where do ideas come from? I'm going to ask you, got a question? One sec, and let me just finish. What, uh, what was the name of the business called? So it was called Pantech Internet Services. Um, so I... Um, Okay, I had a bad joke there, but I'll let that go. So anyway, um, so yeah, the acronym is bad. I, that's, don't don't don't, that's don't where think I was, of the acronym. That's actually where I was going. We realized that the afterwards. marketing. Yes, yeah. So yeah. anyway, I mean it's a little. It's not all totally. Different. But anyway, so we talk about business plans. Is there a value in a business plan? Absolutely. Okay, because some swashbuckling entrepreneurs will say, you know, I told them with the Netflix founder who's like, you don't need a business plan. And you hear, you probably hear that from other entrepreneurs. It's a little bit of a, you know, swag kind of, you know, just figure it out. But there is a value. And what was the value in it? Did you alter it? Did you, oh, yeah. as you got deep into it, did the plan change? Well, there's different schools of thoughts on this, Rick. But the way I looked at it actually from the beginning, just coincidentally, is I look at it as a live plan. 
So the, the business plan, if, if all you're going to do is write a business plan, print it out real pretty and stick it in the drawer, then you might as well not even do it. I mean, it's just, so what we did was we created uh, for the financial model specifically, a really robust spreadsheet where we can sort of change the dials and change the numbers and everything flows through and we can see like okay if we do this then this happens so we just uh, uh, and how I've done this with all my businesses our news is actually my fourth startup yes I want to get to that too yes um, that's if I call you a serial entrepreneur yes thank you thank you um, so I always look at it as a live plan. You know, you start with an idea. You do everything you can to get that idea molded and shaped the way you want it. Then you start moving, and then basically everything changes. And so then you change the plan, and you keep. It's kind of an the iterative process. The plan is process. not in a drawer. It's on your. It's on your desk. It, your, it's my plan is on my desk every day. I gotcha. Very good. Um, and I do want to get into um, your questions, but real quickly, go over. You've had four, like you said, four. Can you say how much you sold that company for? Or is that something that's not public? Um, the <laughs> I, what I, I, I can't give exact numbers. Okay. What I can say is that so when I sold the first company, I had I can say that I ended up having way more money than any high school kid should have ever okay. should yeah. ever have. So <laughs> okay. did you use any of that to go into your second business? I did. Okay. So when I was, Which they call seed funding. Yeah. So you have seed your own. Uh, next startup. Well, now now we'd actually call it pre-seed funding. Pre-seed funding, but, right. But it's at the time, right. we would call it seed funding, right. okay. um, which is an interesting uh, topic. But uh, yeah, when I was, so I sold the business in uh, college, when I went to college, and, um, or right before I went to college, and went to college for about a year and a half, and when I was down to my last, like, 25 grand, I was like, man. My last 25 grand. Yeah, I'm, nice like, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm running out of money. This sucks. Like, <laughs> I got to do something else. Uh, so my uh, my roommate and I um, started looking for problems we could solve with what we knew how to do, and we had this attitude that was completely unwarranted. But we felt that we, you know, could do anything essentially, and that we we knew it's the nature what we of a 19 year old or 20 year old. 19, yeah, and that's uh, not a criticism, by the way. No, no, and and so we really had no business doing what we decided to do, but what, but we said, what's important to us, and what do we know, and what's the opportunity, and so we found uh, we started with what we knew, and what my roommate and I both knew very well was this software system called Linux, which was an operating system that at the time was um, relatively new. And so we both knew that very well, and that's what I had built my internet provider using. It's a free, it's an open source system. Open source software, free, free, free as in beer at the time was the quote. Um, <laughs> although beer isn't actually free, which is funny, but yeah. we used to say Linux is free as in beer. Yeah, okay. Um, so we knew it very well, and we thought we could help people with it. And what we found, we went looking at the space. What, what are businesses doing with Linux? And what we found was, that uh, there was a big gap, basically at the t in 1999, 2000, the, the, there was, you either had, if you were a business and you wanted to do something serious with Linux or open source software, you, you either had basically the guy in his garage or you had IBM. There was really no real choices in the middle. Okay. So we said, all right, we don't ever want to have higher salespeople. We don't want to ever have to try to collect or send invoices. 
we don't want to have to do anything except for actually work with the software. Really? Yeah. So I took this to my dad, who, who had been a consultant for CSC and IBM for many years, and I said, hey dad, this is what I want to do, what do you think? You know, no salespeople, payment in advance, no invoicing, um, and we're going to solve this problem in the Linux space by being a middle market provider. And he said, I think you're out of your mind and it's never going to work. I said, okay, well, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> so, so we threw up a website that we've developed using Microsoft Paint. It took us about, yeah, it took us about an afternoon. Um, we, we threw up the website and I think throwing up the website is the right way to say it. Um, and we knew we were onto something because within a week, within one week, we had an unsolicited $1,000 service contract from a company we never heard of in New York that needed people to help them with their Linux systems. How did they and find you? They found us, they found our website. And but they did you called my Ads phone. Or anything like that? Or? So we just did, uh, we did, at the time it wasn't Google Ads, it was, um, I can't even remember what it was. But there was but, some, um, some sort of advertising. Keyword advertising. Okay. Yeah. So we did right. some keyword advertising. Very targeted. And yeah. a very targeted Linux tech support, Linux. It paid for Linux itself with that contract right there. With the first one. And that's it. and at that point, that's when we knew we were on to something. Okay. So, so then we just kind of built it out from and there. What was that company called? So that company was also called Pantech, but we dropped the internet services part because okay. oh, the acronym right. yes, didn't work. Right. Yeah, so that was just called Pantech. And uh, that company did very well. We, um, I ended up buying out my partner. Uh, I what bought, did your dad say about it? I bought way? three other companies. You bought three other companies? Yeah, I bought three other companies, so merged them all together. As in a college, as a college student? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so about two, so about a year into this, uh, my, my, I started dropping classes and not a good idea. Uh, we are not endorsing. That. You know, <laughs> but uh, started dropping classes until uh, until the year two thousand when um, we made I made three hundred fifty thousand dollars in my dorm room. It was time to focus on that full time. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I can understand that, I guess. Yeah. My my parent now. So my parents were not really thrilled with this. We come from a, I come from an MIT an MIT family. My mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, my aunt, my uncle, my other grandfather on the other oh, side, uh, and two other aunts and uncles all went to MIT. My sister was uh, valedictorian. She wanted to go to MIT. She actually didn't even get in. Um, really? And so I didn't. I told my parents, I'm like, I'm not even gonna apply. And then when they found out that I was going to drop out of school, they were actually very, uh, very pleased. They were pleased not. that you dropped out of school. Yeah, because they saw what was happening. Okay. That we sort of captured this thing that this this we, we, we captured this space, and that's the way to look at it. We found. I know I'm going in a lot of tangents. No, no you're not. We, actually, you're right on we, course. We, we 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 saw this market opportunity. That's it. And there was no one else in it and we knew it was needed we thought it was needed so we tested the waters by throwing out that website yeah. and it was like instant validation and then everything we did it was like every, we could do no wrong explain before you forget i wanted to highlight one thing bill danko when he spoke and we talked about education he talked about uh, appropriate education and we sometimes shoehorn people into something because oh you go to high school then you go into college and you, and you would be one of those people that fits that example of you know what it didn't fit um, explain to them, we haven't talked about this too much, validation. What does that mean? Product market fit. Um, validation means you have something that people will buy. That's it. Very good. I mean, 
uh, so the acquisition really simple. Yeah. What was? How did you? Did you make mistakes in the acquisition process? You said you acquired three companies. Um, probably got their employees, or did you say we don't need the employees, but we want the technology? How did that work, and how did you learn from it? Yeah, it was a mixture. Um, so first of all, I made tons of mistakes, man. I mean, throughout this whole process, I'd say mistakes that I personally made in the millions of dollars of value. I mean, wow. just it's you can't. The problem is, is that if you're too, if you're afraid to make mistakes, you'll never move forward. So what? The, there, there's one thing. There's several things in life that are sure. But a lot of people like to say death and taxes. I like to say death, taxes, and mistakes. Yeah. I can absolutely guarantee you that everyone in this room has made mistakes and will make mistakes. Uh, I made four huge mistakes yesterday. Actually, okay. I was going to make that my Twitter status, but I decided against it. That would have been a fifth um, mistake. Right, right, right. Yeah, I didn't want to add to the list, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, with the, the acquisitions, uh, my favorite strategy is called growth by acquisition, and that can go either way. But what we, what we set out to do was find competitors in our space that we could absorb. They call that, a lot of times they call that a roll-up. So you may have a company that, you know, like Logical Nets, a local internet service provider they were, now they've done a lot of other things. And they grew basically by acquisition exactly. And I think they did like 18 roll-ups in a two-year period. Nice, so I mean, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, so I, we're at a halfway point in terms of number of companies. So I thought maybe that's a nice break and then we'll jump into some more of my questions. But did you have a question, Bethany? Yeah. yeah, once 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 we got to a certain point, remember I didn't want to hire salespeople. And by the way, I, I ended up did end up hiring salespeople. I have nothing against anyone who wants to be a salesperson and uh, that was my initial thinking when I was in college. But we wanted to we thought the best strategy to grow without a sales force was to acquire companies. And when you acquire a company, uh, a lot of times you can kind of pick and choose what assets you want. So we could say, okay, these two employees are awesome. I want them. Uh, these computers are not going to work. Take them Your out. Your skill sets too. You say that company has a CFO. Yep. We don't have a CFO. Maybe exactly. that's a good. Yeah, well, in this case, this one company had a great sales guy. Okay. This guy was amazing. And uh, he's like built their business and he wanted to come through. He wanted to come on board with the new team. He was excited and ready to go. So, okay, we want that guy. We want that guy. We don't want that guy. Sort of pick and choose the pieces you want. Awesome. Is a cultural fit sometimes too, you might be. That's something that back in the early days that we, we didn't really consider as much as we should have. Okay. Um, but it is very important to have that cultural fit. I think at that time we were of the mindset of we just want the best people we can and if they clash, they clash. But that, that does also lead to problems. Okay. Uh, I, Josiah first, then we'll go to Ben. Uh, did you ever like kind of do that before you even talked about acquiring? Like you would find these companies, you would like nitpick what exactly you want from them and then you kind of make the move to acquire? Or? No, the um, no, not really. Uh, I'm not saying people don't do that. Uh, but what we did is we we found the opportunity first. We said, "Wow, this is a great brand. They're in our space. Uh, if, if we see, we're seeing what they're offering and what they're doing, so I'm just going to call their CEO and say, hey, 'Hey, trying to acquire companies. Should we have a conversation?' Yes or no? And uh, then at that point you start a discovery process where you kind of learn about what that company has exactly and you don't you don't really start picking and choosing until you already have a financial deal kind of worked out. I just didn't know how much research you do before you make that phone call. Uh, I see you on Google and I pick up the phone. Okay. 
So it's basically though you're looking more for the technology or the a company that's going to enhance what you already have. Part of it's also you want to be attractive to a potential acquirer of you, correct? Absolutely. I mean, the the point of starting a business is to exit from it uh, if you're an entrepreneur. It's not like um, GE or some other companies where they may say, "I'm going to grow a thousand-person company." And we're going to be on, you know, you may want to be on Forbes, but we're going to be, you know, we're in it for the long haul. Entrepreneurs, a lot of times they're looking, especially if you have venture capital or other investors, the only way they get paid is with an exit, either going public and acquisition of mergers. There's other ways, but that's like the, the big three. Yep. So, okay. Anything you want to add? Okay. Ben. Do you think um, finishing some college would have minimized some of the mistakes that you made? Ooh. I doubt it. Uh, because mistakes come from experience only. That being said, I did end up going back to college, and uh, I wish that I had finished college. Well, we could talk about that later, but uh, I go did. Ahead, I, go ahead, take it up. So, after my second startup sold, and I had way more money than a 26-year-old should ever have. I'm seeing a theme here, um, <laughs> which I don't have in my experience, but. <laughs> Uh, I packed up all my stuff in the back of my car, I moved to Brooklyn, New York, and I started my third business, which was a record label. And um, that business was awesome. We had a, ton, a, a, great, a great experience. Worked, I was working with Grammy award-winning artists, national tours, the whole music business. It was awesome. Um, but it made no money. <laughs> so, so, when, so after a few years, we wound that down because it was, not, it was not making the money that it needed to. And so I found myself at uh, 31 years old with no college degree, basically out of money. I mean, you know. It's not like he's wasting the money. Left. You're pouring it back. You're a true entrepreneur. Yeah. So it's not about like he lived recklessly, I'm assuming. You didn't no, do recklessly, well. except maybe <laughs> skydiving or something. But, um, but it wasn't like, um, you know, you, you, you're reinvesting in those businesses. Yeah. So if that business goes out, that's where the... Yeah, I, I personally reinvested $300,000 into my record label. and um, but, but, but then once it shut down, it was like, all right, I have no college degree. My, my, all my investments are locked up either in my other companies or wherever. And it's like, okay, where do I go from here? And ultimately, um, having that degree would have opened more doors for me had I had it. So I did end up going back to uh, school and, and finishing. But boy, was it uh, dramatically harder. So who wants to see the college degree that you said would have opened more doors? Like what paths were closed to you? Well, so I applied for jobs uh, at okay. IBM. Okay. I, I applied uh, for jobs at some of the, some of the top so Linux companies. All that companies. experience didn't count. Uh, I couldn't even get through the door uh, because they, they, you know, they couldn't check off that degree box. Interesting. And I even I had a great recruiter who I had known for years who had helped me hire people, and I went back to him and he pulled every string he could. But unfortunately, not having that degree was a major barrier. Now that has actually relaxed in the last few years. Okay. Uh, but when six years ago, when I was trying to do this, uh, it was definitely a, a barrier. And I also. We had you know these grandiose plans of becoming an attorney was something I've always really been fascinated with intellectual property law and I wanted to do that but okay so let's see I got to go four you know three more years of undergrad and then law school and it's like the path it's like I got kids it's like man yeah. try trying to get 
that's a huge lift. Um, whereas like if I at least had the degree, uh, I, had I wanted to become an attorney, I could have uh, gone Started to law school. And right. right, okay, that's good, that's good. Other questions? And uh, we, we put everything we had into this and then one day I come into the office and I start getting a phone calls about uh, money bounce, checks bouncing. And I go and look at our bank account and it's at zero. And I'm like, um, uh, what's going on? So I pick up the phone, I call my partner. He's like, oh yeah, Richard, sorry. I was gonna let you know, listen, my wife and I decided to buy a house in Silver Lake. So I had to drain the account. Uh, you've been doing a really great job, but I've just decided, you know, the music business is just really hard. It's a lot more work than I thought it was gonna be. I just wanted to look, you know, have a legacy for my kids so he'd think I looked cool. Uh, so, but it turned out to be a lot of work. So in exchange for all your hard work, I'd like to offer you a $10,000 severance. I said, hey, just add two zeros to the end of that and we have a, we'll, there'll be no problem. Uh, so in that case, so that unfortunately went, uh, went south fast. And in that case, um, uh, it was an easy decision, yeah. but that actually doesn't happen often. Right. Um, you know, we basically all the money got. You know, and then it's ama it's amazing how one day the vice president of A&R for Sony Records will is taking your calls and forwarding your, you around and introducing you to P Diddy's manager and all this stuff. Yeah. And then like three days later, as soon as everybody knows oh, that you don't have money anymore then all of a sudden nobody returns your phone call. So in that case, it was a very simple decision. But my advice to anyone today when starting a business is figure it out in advance what success looks like and what failure looks like. Talk it through, work it through, and then know before it happens and that'll make the decision easier. That's great. So, okay, Josiah, uh, you're going for that, a trifecta here. Does that work in like the, uh, the opposite? Like name your number as like, it gets to like this echelon level of like wealth, like you want out too? Like yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Much. Oh yeah, absolutely. I definitely I'm, I'm not familiar with that reference, but uh, I mean, I know who Dave Chappelle is, but I don't know what that particular reference they is. They offer him like a bunch of money, but pretty much they would own him. So like, just dig it. Different people have different thoughts on this. Uh, I do, I did personally set a exit target which is when, when, when I know that I can walk away with this amount of money, then, then I do. Okay. So, yes, Is Gina. that just for that business or is that for your retirement? <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody has a retirement number. You do. Yeah. Uh, that's a really good point. Um, I, <laughs> my current uh, target is for retirement, but I would say that it is per business. You know, it's very reasonable to start a business with a very specific goal in mind, saying, okay, I want to walk out of here with a million dollars. Now, a million dollars is not enough to retire on usually any, anymore unless you're already kind of near retirement age. But if you're in your uh, 20s or 30s, a million dollars is not enough. But uh, that not to be stressed or anything. It's, it's, it's not, well, to just walk away and say, hey, I'm not going to work anymore. Yeah, a million yeah. bucks is not enough. Yeah. Um, so, but I think that's actually a really good point. No, you don't have to say, all right, I'm going to start this business and I'm going to exit when I have $50 million. Um, especially if it's your first business, that's probably not reasonable. Uh, but saying, look, I see a market need. I think this is the opportunity. This is the size. This is how much of it we can take. This is what our revenues really might be. I want to put five years into this and I want to exit with 
$692,000. So it could be a dollar right. thing. It could also be a time thing, too. It could be I mean, time. Number, yeah. Okay. It could. A lot of people also start businesses with the intention of selling them to the company that they want to work for because growth by acquisition is huge. People do so. They, you know, like you want to go work for a big company, you know that they acquire a certain kind of company. Well, go and start it, make it a success. And then when they acquire you, you'll probably come onto their team. And you'll be at a higher level. At, right? a, at a much higher level than sending your resume through the mail. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, no. That's right. Do they even have mailrooms anymore? I, I, I heard they did. <laughs> So, um, I want to get to the fourth business, and but one of the we had a guest speaker here um, a few months, a few weeks back, and Kyle um, Samuel. I don't know if you know how to ask you. Oh yeah. Okay. And so he talked about he had some failures and he's had some successes. And I said <laughs> something I asked about failure and um, how does you know how does it impact you? He goes. He said the very stark. Anyone remember what his stark quote was on failure? What did he say? Failure is necessary. He said it's not only, remember that? So um, so some people might say, I'm going to go get a regular job now um, because I've, this is this hurt too much. Yeah. But here you are, you started again. So your thoughts on failure for starters. And then let's move into how did you decide that, you know what, I'm going to pick myself up, dust myself up, start all over again. As the old song says. Well, I agree with the quote completely. I will say that it was pretty devastating. Yeah, I, I think failure is necessary. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Right. And uh, I did, in fact, go and take a day job. Uh, after my third business uh, failed, uh, I did go and take a day job and worked for a few years in the grind. And then I thought, um, my entrepreneurial days are over. I have two kids. Uh, I have a, a day job with the golden handcuffs. Anybody know what the golden handcuffs are? Anybody? It means you're you're paid so well and you're so comfortable that you're stuck. Yeah, I know that well. <laughs> so I had the golden handcuffs on and um, I just figured that was it. Then something interesting happened. I went back to school. I started I started feeling that I needed more and like something was missing. So I went back to school, um, got my associate's degree. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what if it was the extra the brain exercising or what it was, but all of a sudden this rush of new business ideas started happening, and I couldn't ignore them. And so I started looking at each one and vetting each one and talking to people to try to find out what could work, what might work, what were people excited about. I was looking for passion and interest and something unique. And um, this process happened relatively rapidly in 2016, and. Uh, Finally, after looking at, say, a dozen concepts, I uh, settled on the one that I felt the strongest about that actually had the best reception from the public, which was R News. And as we've all seen, there's a ton of misinformation out there. It's not just the political fake news or um, clickbait or, um, or just bias in political agendas in, in reporting, there's actually a dramatic problem of mis- and disinformation happening on a global level. And frankly, there aren't a lot of great solutions. Right. So we started looking, so I, I talked to, um, I talked to, so I started looking at what the answer could be and talked to probably um, two to 300 people. Uh, to see if 
what we were trying to do resonated and it did. So that led me with a couple co-founders to found our news with the mission of fighting this information by making it easy for anyone to fact check and rate news. So this one's a little bit out there. It's disruptive. It's disruptive. Um, we know we're onto something when we get sort of strong negative reactions from people. That's a good thing. And I think it speaks to um, product market fit like we were talking about earlier. Um, we have something that people want. Um, and now it's just a question of uh, delivering it and, uh, and seeing it through to fruition. That's awesome. We're going to have to wrap it there. It's 9.15. Oh, sorry, um, everybody. I talked to you. No, no, no. Not at all. It was great stuff. Um, so please, give it up for Richard Zach.